Welcome to Hacked in the Dark, a podcast featuring Forged in the Dark games and their designers. I'm Mark Cleveland. And I'm Nichelle. And we will be your hosts for today's episode. Today we sit down with our guest, Stefan Struck, to talk about their game, A Fistful of Darkness. Welcome, Stefan. Hello, everybody. I'm Stefan, pronounce he, him. Thanks for having me. Glad to have familiar voices after we ended the world in our actual play. That was a great game. I'm still talking a lot about. Thanks for that. Yeah, we had a great time doing that. The, the podcast uh, here is to talk about the deeper elements of your game a little bit. We can focus in on some of the things that may have interested our uh, listeners and they didn't get time to really explore during the actual play. I'd like to start a little bit with some of your origin story to kind of introduce our listeners to who you are. So could you tell us what got you into design? Yeah, I started role-playing games in the, I think, early 80s uh, with friends from, from school. And here I'm, I'm living in Germany, so we just had the problem to access the cool stuff. So we had some German role-playing games and a little bit of access to D&D and stuff like that. But it was hard to get by and uh, not cheap. So we often we have to make our own rules or fill the gaps. So if your friend has a game master guide or stuff like that, and uh, there's only one game master guide for five people. So you just have to make your own rules. And uh, yeah, this uh, was a wild time. <laughs> and about design, yes, this is, I do not see myself as a game designer. What? Yeah. <laughs> All my friends are uh, telling me that's not true, but <laughs> I'm insist. So I'm more a collector of good ideas and I'm totally happy if some of these collected stuff is clicking together to make a whole thing. Yeah, it's clicking. I'm looking at the itch right now. The art looks great. You know, you've managed to put together a great layout for this book. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put yourself down any. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Because, yeah, this is stuff I like. I just like to learn uh, new stuff. And I like to do the art for, for this and layout and, 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 and. So I'm doing that all mainly by myself with a little help from, from friends. So writing a game takes some time. But in the end, it's, it's my game. So I don't have to have to compromise on it. And... Uh, all the faults are mine, so <laughs> I feel very responsible for that. Well, I love your responsibility for that, but yeah, it's great to see that you're able to put this together and we had such a good time with it on the stream. Especially the artwork that was shown on the stream and whatnot was absolutely beautiful, like the World 20 assets and everything that we got to play with. And that kind of ties into our next point. How were you introduced to Blades in the Dark? Yeah, this is quite interesting because at this time, I came in quickly after the Kickstarter, I think. I, I missed the Kickstarter, which is a pity, but I missed it. And I saw John's art on, I think it was the drive through RPG newsletter on the quick start early access material. Mm -hmm. I had looked it up. It was version 5, so <laughs> pretty early access. And I just saw the art and saw the heist theme and it was just, I was thinking, so we played lots of Shadowrun in the past and it was okay, but it was not that good. And I thought John's game and it was just as our Shadowrun games should be. Mm. So this, is, this was great inspiration. Yeah. 
it brought me back from RPG Hibernate. So I'm pretty old, I think, for, for the scene. And uh, I had more than 10 or, or 15 years not played any games. And uh, Blades brought me back. And not even brought me back, but made me write the game Fistful of Darkness uh, sometimes later. Wow. Holy crap. Hey, man, I have a very similar story, you know? I believe I was like, I felt like I was kind of burnt or something, you know? Like, burnt out on following rules for my game, you know? I just wanted to, like, narrative game. I kept going to that and, like, the less rules, the better. Like, I was just like, let's just talk. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I, like, I just got to this point where I was like, I don't even want dice now. That's, like, complicated. And then, like, I saw Blades and I went, oh, that looks fun yeah. to play as a game. And yeah, just like you, I came in just after everything had finalized that they were definitely going to make the game. And I got in on the backer kit, though. I managed to get in on that because I think I, I threw my name on the list or something. Yeah, I missed that yeah, myself. Yeah. But I was, it was right when the special edition came out and he, it was still available on the website. And so I snagged it. Yeah, I got one. I have one too. So maybe you recall the Blood Letters episode where Sean uh, is talking about a guy who's tucking up to him to make the special edition available <laughs> again. So th that, that was me. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us about Fistful of Darkness. What exactly the pitch of it is and how does your game model that pitch? Yeah, Fistful of Darkness is in its core a Weird West game. And it has a subtitle, it's Gunslinging and Humanity versus Impending Doom coming from demon-infested minds. So maybe <laughs> a little bit long for a catchy uh, subtitle. But what I, what I wanted was all these Wild West, Old West, Weird West tropes and a little bit of word ending doom and demons and stuff like that yeah i think i'm too much child of the 80s not to have themes like us with them and uh, stuff like that so greed and where can it lead to and stuff like that yeah it's a post-apocalyptic weird wild west which is like kind of a mouthful but it's just a, a lot of things that should have been together a while ago i think <laughs> yeah it's not historical i i'm not trying to do this i just cannot because i'm missing all the context of the u.s so i wanted to be very fantasy and very generic in the sense that you can have it any anywhere you want so there's no specific place. It's just a city of mud water, which is central to the setting and uh, where factions and the usual stuff. But it's not that you have to play it a certain way to get the most of, of the game. Yeah, that was a very interesting thing because it's only the second game that I've played that has an end game to it. Death Wish being the first one that I've played that was also posted on the Hacked in the Dark stream. So it was very interesting to see that mechanic be worked into a Forged in the Dark game system, because I've never had any interaction with it before. Yeah, I want to highlight something about that too later. We're definitely going to come back to this moment about the end game because I think there's a, a little something subtler there. There's like, we get to answer an important question. When you hit the end game, I noticed there's some kind of a, an open end that you don't see in a lot of these post-apocalyptic games, which is to answer what happened, right? Like to cause the end of the world. 
Does that sound about right? Yeah, you can play it that way if you're willing to do a campaign long enough to, to reach this point or as, as we did, which was awesome, which we just speed it up to have more riders appearing earlier than a vanilla game should, should have. Yeah, right, right. We sped things up. Yeah. So the big question is, how do you want to play this game? There are a lot of classic gamers who see ending the world as a bad thing. Well, yeah, what was really compelling to me is the answer, like, was the end of the world really caused by these four horsemen? Or was it more like the, the inevitable end that our characters are going to bring anyway? And I think that's super interesting. Yeah, I think the, the storylines, especially if you play as... Uh, want to prevent the end of the world and by trying to prevent this they actually speeding it up yeah i think that was the case for our career right yeah hey i wasn't going to push it one way or another and i don't want to necessarily provide spoilers <laughs> yeah that's one of my favorite examples of like interplay between characters and players and how those things will intermingle when everybody's kind of on board. Yeah, one of the favorite things in all Blade and Hex I knew is the inner conflict XP trigger on the crew. So this is so great because not only that you play this way, but you always get reward for it. And if you have different characters trying to reach different ends, this is totally fine. This is wanted in the game and makes it so interesting so it's not to win the game but to tell a good story well maybe that's a good way that you can talk about what makes fistful of darkness so special i realized you know there's a body of fiction that you've gathered through your head that's different from what we get over here you know and i think that will set your game apart a little bit yeah so maybe it's time to make a short confession to all the deadlands fans out there <laughs> So, <laughs> so the, the big story is I never played Deadlands and I never read it. I, I read it afterwards, after I wrote Fistful of Darkness. So what makes this game happen was actually a game of Shadows of Brimstone, which is a board game. A friend of mine bought it and asked us to play. And uh, we had really fun playing, playing this game. It's a dungeon crawler style, Weird West. Um, they even have a downtime. So where you go back from crawling demon-infested mines back in the city and healing and stuff like that. And the guys I was playing this game were the same guys I was playing Blades at this time. And so we just looked at each other and, th and we thought, yeah, why not play blades in this setting oh i love that yeah and uh, so i i did that and uh shadows brimstone obvious has deadlands as as its root so it has uh, bloodstone i think so i have hellstone so it's what i needed was a rush uh, like a, like the gold rush only more of of the gold yeah. rush only hellish and way better <laughs> yeah, yeah hellish better yes <laughs> So my my different uh, my other sources were the Six Gun, which is a comic by Colin Bunn and Brian Hurt, published by Oni Press, which is just awesome. So if you don't know this, you have to read it. It's multiple volumes of very cool stuff. It's uh, weird west to the bone, and have this uh, the world will end, and what's uh, what then? 
So what is the next world? So in, in my games, there's always the next world. Depending on your players, these next worlds are very different. But this comics has this, this wheel of destruction and recreation of the world and who is allowed to shape the world and who is only, can say, a slave in this world and who is a master. So, and, and I, I tried to find different sources and had the luck to stumble upon Hard West, which is a computer game by Created Forge Games. I think it's a po Polish company and they really lean into this Weird West theme. They have uh, Undead main character, which brought along the Re Revenant playbook and my hack. Yeah, and of course the granddaddies of Weird West like Jonah Hex and uh, El Diablo comics. So stuff like ah. that. So if you start to look for it, you find uh, lots, lots of good stuff. Yeah, I think this is great that you mentioned the source for your currency in your game, Hellstone, because uh, that is sort of the central, one of the central topics is uh, the hellish currencies in Forged in the Dark Games. I think the hellish economy of going to get the Hellstone and dealing with the Weird Fallout is just beautiful in Fistful of Darkness. Let's talk a bit about your touchstones and how that might affect the challenges you've faced along the way with Fistful of Darkness. Like, for example, when you try to convey a weird Wild West setting, maybe you don't want to say everything about the way the guns work, right? Your six gun mm -hmm. or even the weird powers. Has any of that stuff come up for you in, along the way when you're developing the game? Yeah, did. Uh, so touchstone are really useful if you want to set the broad theme, I think. So just mentioning Deadlands or Jonah Hex brings your, your player to the table, but in, in the details, it may be a bit different. So especially in the current currency, I was a bit lost uh, while designing the currencies and the early game had this two currency already, Hellstone and Coin because I just wanted to have this Hellstone Rush as a main theme. I, I did not have Doom at, at this point. This was an early alpha version. It was, I still had Heat as some kind of trouble, not necessarily from the lore, but from the other factions in Mudwater. And it was very unspecific. And then I got a great advice from Sean, Sean Nittner, who I wrote an email to, and he asked, why are there two currencies? Yeah, right, a good question. <laughs> yeah, it, it sounded like Kanon. He said, there are no two currencies in Forge in the Dark game. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know Sean's tone might have been a little different there. I think he was probably saying, we'll just explain it. You know? Yeah. Now, the, the, the question was spot on because I was thinking about that. If I just delete one, delete coin, delete Hellstone, and then I had the third choice, which was uh, make the choice between coin and hellstone the core of the game. So you already in session zero, you already have to choose as a crew or posse, as it's called in Fistful of Darkness. Do you want to have two coin, which is totally fine? Or do you want to have two hellstone, which is double the worth uh, of coins so or four coin? But if you take the two hellstone you get two doom right from the start so you have i hope you have inner conflict right from session zero baked into it so i think this was a great moment to give this game 
center to design all the other stuff around. Yeah, that's great. The economy itself is one of the things I really wanted to focus in on because I think having multiple currencies is important. You know, it, it does split kind of at the efforts of the players in a way that you don't see from Blades in the Dark, you know, vanilla. Yeah. So one of the big questions in the game is, uh, okay, you want to buy something. How do you pay? Do you give him a coin or do you pay with Hellstone? What are the implications of that? So is he annoyed because he don't like Hellstone? Is he uh, amused? Is he uh, delighted because he may be a mad scientist waiting for Hellstone to fire up his, his engines, uh, stuff like that? <laughs> Endless possibilities on, on this side. One thing I really enjoyed about from a GM perspective on Hellstone during the stream of the actual play that we did, it really allowed me to bring in different mechanics and also really push back onto the table certain consequences, certain things that were going on in the world and essentially make it to where if my table felt that they were getting a little lost in like what they were doing, now they had to make a decision. It's a very good pacing mechanism, yeah. I found. And also, it causes your players usually to take a little bit more of a risk because, well, now there is something that happens every time I interact with Hellstone. How am I interacting with Hellstone? Is that going against or is that going for my beliefs and drives? Is that going against the posse? What are we currently interacting with right now that can drive the story forward? Mm. Just with the interaction of Hellstone beyond simple coin. Uh, really, I quite enjoyed it. I think what you're saying is this is like a GM control that we didn't realize what we get, right? It's it's a way for you to, to like shove the story one way or the other, right? We get to say, take this currency and see what you do with it. I wouldn't say that I railroaded any. I just want to go ahead and point no. that out. I did not wow. railroad my players, but I did definitely use it as a tool at my disposal based on what is written in the system. And I think that you guys really took upon that because the first session you guys were tossing and handed back health stone as if it was you know a canteen of water or something <laughs> yeah. you were just passing it around and then all of a sudden we get to the end where you have to roll for every instance of you touching or interacting with health stone and one of you even licked it at one point which i thought was hilarious because the possibility of a mutation coming out of that and that, of course, came up later on in the stream series. But absolutely, I used that as a tool at my disposal. It was fantastic. Yeah, I think it was really pointed that way that that worked. It's a very loaded currency, if you want to call it that. So it brings on many choices. If you want that in different circles, it may be totally fine to use it. And in different, in different circles, it's it's... We had this in the game, if you look at the tribe's relationship to Hellstone and uh, Mudwater, so... Mm -hmm. Now that does work into your world building a bit, and here you have a different approach. You can use touchstones or not to allow your players to customize the world. How did you use that in Fistful of Darkness using the Hellstone itself? as well as other features of the world building. I think I had the big problem that I w did not want to define too much of the world. 
and so I needed some time with that, but I came up with adding a world building step into session zero. And so the players could bring all their touchstones to the table, not only the usual Clint Eastwood or John Wayne or uh, Jonah Hex or other one. So you can bring others, other aspects of the touchstone as well, especially the customizing of Mudwater, which buildings are there so you can play that or you uh, NPCs on places. So we we start with an empty map and then we taking turns and everybody can place a location on on the map and uh, share some rumors uh, the players heard about that place and uh, so you have a very distinctive feel what the players want. Uh, they get excited to hear what the what the other players want and they build on that if if you're lucky. And uh, by the way, as a GM, you get much material to, to build on. The great ask questions and build on it. So yeah, it's, it's a way to, to customize the world more to the likings of the players. This seems like a good way to segue into the next swing, because one of the ways that you express yourself here is through the setting, right? Like you were saying something about the cyclical nature of the campaign. Like when something ends, the end of the world comes. Usually the campaign goes on, is that right? Yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, the information that Blades came from the end of a... Uh, what system was it? Uh, John played Dungeon World, I think, was it? Uh, he ended the Dungeon World campaign and the sun was gone and the gates of uh, death were gone and so uh, Blades in the Dark came up. So this is a great place to go in, in my point of view. So it's not, not an end, but uh, the start of something, something new. Yeah, like you answer a question and that kind of springboards the next campaign, which I think is very unique to most role-playing experiences. Uh, usually when the end of the world happens, our characters die or we're all after that. You know what I mean? Our characters are all after that's already happened and we're trying to pick up pieces. In this game, we might like break all the pieces yeah. and then yeah. <laughs> and watch and see what happens afterwards when they get thrown into a fire and you know get recycled. <laughs> yes, this is great for all Blades game, I think. So if I recall my D&D games right, so this was always you're a small character in a big world and if you play long enough like five years, ten years to the same campaign, maybe you have the chance to alter the state of the world a little bit. So like buying a castle and being a lord or, or something like that. In, in these games, if it just happens, so you kill an important NPC in, in the first session and you ask yourself, so what's, what's the impact of that? So these are great games. So we had really cool Blades and Fistful of Darkness games. So when the players look to the GM and ask, is this possible? The answer is always, of course. This is possible. <laughs> it's ju you just have to live with the consequences. Yeah, it was it was a really wonderful thing. I'll point again to the stream that we did a fistful to that end episode with the posse and especially that inner conflict trigger during the end, essentially of the moment, the big build up through the entire series to that end point. It was just absolutely fantastic. Could you explain a little bit more on the posse? Because I know that that's a different take on the Blades uh, crew and playbooks. Can you explain a little bit more on those? 
Yeah, it's it's similar to Blade in in the sense that uh, we have like crew books, which are, for example, Hellstone Scavengers or Outlaw Posse and Bounty Hunters and the Tribe. What's a bit different is that you give a strong direction uh, with choosing these playbooks. So I often see bounty hunters because hunting something sounds like fun. So uh, mainly demons, <laughs> by the way. So yeah, why not pick the hardest foe in, in the setting? So this seems to be a, lots of fun. Well, that could also work for hunting other fellow outlaws, correct? Uh, yes. <laughs> Excellent. Classic bounty hunting or yeah. You, you name it so what or hellish bounty hunting <laughs> hell, hellish bounty hunting or monsters or stuff like that so i wrote the hellstone scavengers because as uh, i was talking with a friend uh, about the hack and mentioning shadows of brimstone and he said oh yeah and then you need hellstone scavengers in that so i wrote that but the funny thing is nobody wants to play them <laughs> so I it's too scary yeah it's maybe too scary maybe right they, <laughs> so i even had some difficult rules how you play it we might have to do a take two for um for the crew that we did yeah. the stream for and, and have you guys actually play with the consequences of your own actions <laughs> oh play with all the fallout from our first exactly yeah. Ooh, that would actually be a great follow-up stream yeah Ooh, yeah. If people are interested in that, be sure to let us know. <laughs> we will put it together. <laughs> Vote for it and we will do it. So. <laughs> if we get one mention of it, we might do it, actually. <laughs> one retweet. That's all we need. No. <laughs> so the, the difference between the playbooks is I don't have turf. I wrote achievements in, which started out as kind of turf, but are more major achievement in the storyline. So depending on these achievements you're fighting in the end battle light versus dark you can choose a side which which is important uh, to you and then you can use your achievements to turn that battle around or, or not if you if you choose not to so uh, that's a that's a big difference in in the in the playbooks i just wanted to tie that in to the end game and make the players count here very much so again during the game it's not that clear if you are uh, trying to get dark achievements or neutral achievements or light achievements the side you're on may not be that obvious but in the end it's uh, important for the outcome of the end game just one thing which is very important for me is this is not a good versus evil so this is dark whatever that means versus light whatever that means so dark is more in my point of view in my game which may be totally different from your game is that dark is more about change and light is more about preserving Ooh. there may be demons and angels but angels may be boring guys so <laughs> <laughs> they're the status quo uh, yeah, yeah, maybe so. I think that's super interesting. Yeah, when you read the Preacher comic, you cannot see angels anymore as creatures of light and the good, so. So, and, and, and I guess this dark light theme also has a, a lot of importance to you, like calling back to your touchdown with six gun? Yeah, so the, the six gun is 
also going into this direction. So they're starting out with villains and good heroes and dark villains, but in the uh, in the end, you see that uh, just how they came to be and how they change over the the way of time. So this is very very interesting. Is that a movie or a book? I'm definitely show my noobness here. The Thick Gun is a comic. I, th I think there are plans to do a Netflix series from it, but yeah, you know, rumors. So mm, still hoping for it. That sounds hot. That would be really fantastic to do based on a comic. Yeah, I couldn't imagine what it would be like to have your comic turned into a show, you know, or your role-playing thing or whatever. But like this would be so good on screen. to fun. Yeah. It really would. As like a show that loops right through the city of Mudwater and returns the characters and like reintegrates the fiction with new setups each time. Yeah, yeah. It, it would be a masterpiece if you could get the, uh, the team behind it. So Netflix, if you're listening, call me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have an agent sitting uh, online ready to negotiate. We want, we want Tree to play the same part the entire time, yeah. please, uh, yeah. because they have wonderful buttons. Though, honestly, doing a show would probably traumatize them all over again. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, and we need Ray to play Matt Monroe. He's got to be the, uh, the special advisor to the whole show, I think, because of his role as Mad Monroe. Yeah. It's like unforgettable for me. Again, we'll go ahead and plug the stream for our listeners. If you haven't listened or watched the stream of Fistful of Darkness, you really should. Yeah, I'd say you got hooked up pretty well. You got a crit on the find a group role. Before the game there, Stefan, that was, uh, that was perfect when we, we all pretty much had like, we had varying interests, but we had similar things that we felt was important to talk about, you know, and I thought that was interesting. And we didn't have a lot of it. We didn't talk about much of any of it. We were figuring it out on the fly and it just worked out so well. Yeah, maybe now if I think about it, we all knew that we were ending the world somehow. So maybe this is a good information to have for all the players that in the end you will have this big decision in front of you. So this will not only, okay, the status quo, yes, we will uh, try to reach tier four someday or, or we will take our revenge or stuff like that. So it's just that everybody knew in the end there will be a big question and which side i am on it may be not conscious decisions but especially my character ezra was always thinking what will he do when the end of the world came is it a solution or a problem and i think maybe this is a good thing that the game ties it together yeah that was a question for my characters what they're gonna do like I invented, you know, my own reasons, basically, I threw in some turmoil where I was like, oh, the brother, something weird happened with the brother. And my character's brother, having been possibly dead or passed on, they, they believed that they were there in the beyond waiting for them. You know, maybe they could get them back. And so the end of the world was worth bringing about for them, but they weren't sure they were going to do it. Because here they were making these connections with these other people that were actually bringing them out of the negativity of being tied up in this brother thing. So it was almost like a race against time, an emotional t clock. Like I had a clock on my page that was like ticking down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was like, if when you run out of time, they're going to just throw all of the cares out the window. 
but there's another clock going that's filling of like the friendship meter or the the give a care meter for the world and your characters were all ticking that for them and that was interesting for me because i didn't expect that going in i thought it was going to have a singular motive and then that all just kind of ha- got forced by the whole stone and by our great GM doing everything so well, masterfully weaving everything together. What? You turn from a flat character into a round character? Yeah, you could. It's like that Simpsons episode where you could see the back of Homer and see the like the shoulders and like you know some 3D thing. You know they're in the 3D world, and then I got sucked into the portal like at the end of the episode, like where I'm trying to crawl out of the the like 3D matrix hole whirlpool that's forming, and uh, I fell right in. It was great. Yeah, I think I think Nichelle did a great job uh, tying all these personal stories together and pointing them to the big question: How will you react? Is there a solution to this mess? And if there is a solution, are you willing to do it? What do you think is the solution? <laughs> it's very. Pr- it was not an easy question for any of you to answer. And I, and I think yeah. that that makes a wonderful game when the world building and the different aspects of the world come together into such harmony with a table and a crew and the agendas to such a beautiful ending of, oh my gosh, I answered the question and it wasn't yeah. what I was expecting I would answer it as. It's a wonderful thing to to see. It's also a wonderful thing to be able to partake in. And that's the wonderful thing about Fistful of Darkness. If you want to focus on the factions and the social aspect, you have the posse and their interactions. You have the different factions and mud water. And depending on how your table puts it up, you can very well just work within that own framework. Or you can bring in other aspects, such as the Four Horsemen and more Hellstone and the Great Burning Beyond. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful game, and I so appreciate your willingness, Stefan, to allow us to show it. Yeah, that was a nice, a nice thing. Yeah, no, no problem at all, because it was, for me, it was the first opportunity to play my game. <laughs> not yeah. as a GM but as a player and with such a great cast it, it was awesome that's a valuable experience to have as well I think every designer should have a chance to play their yeah. game with other inspired players and have someone else run it not only does it different but it's also somewhat the same right like that there's some of the things that you really wanted to have happen um, I like I, I noticed that doom takes a rather strong approach you know doom is a central clock in your game i definitely wanted to hit on that as an economy a measure of your economy in the game like that is the replacement for heat am i right yeah yeah it is and um yeah this is true and so it's very valuable to to play the game as a player just to see how it feels as a player so is it too strongly typed or railroady or which stories cannot tell and i think it's not so easy to be the game designer and the gm at the same time so you watching the game and you watching yourself as a gm how you play it and you watching the players which is a lot of work to do well, it definitely helps to be a player and also play test for sure And I'm so glad that we had that ability. And I'm looking forward to more design work and everything you have done on Fistful. 
Yeah, is there anything left that you're going to continue to work on with Fistful, or are you busy much towards the end of this project cycle? How are you feeling about that? Yeah, right now I'm feeling a bit stretched thin on, on the Weird West angle, so I'm working on the different game right now. Ooh, you going to tease us? <laughs> a little bit, maybe. So it's a secret Ooh. project. <laughs> no. <gasps> Ooh. Do go on. Reveal all the secrets. I mean, don't. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay, if you ask. <laughs> no, it's an. I think it's. It will be an Aegon playset because it again will have an endgame in it and world building. So that's an inner joke for our online online group uh, that <laughs> yeah. we don't play games. We're just doing world building and character creation, and then we move on to 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 the next game. <laughs> so. <laughs> What I need in my games is world building and end games. So it will be cyberspace without cyberpunk and epic fantasy heroes. So Ooh, that sounds wonderful. Yeah, how very interesting. Uh, so the, the I can already kind of see some tie in with Aegon and the islands and like virtual places. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah, it's meant it's meant like that, but I'm I'm not sure if this will work out. I said that I'm uh, I'm putting so much work into the setting, so I'm thinking about doing it a dual system setting, like uh, doing a Paragon or Aegon playset and uh, Blades hack as well. I'm not sure if uh, I have enough energy for this, but well, as they say, once you begin designing, you never stop. Yeah. So if you're if you're thinking about it every day, you should work on the idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Stefan, for joining us today and for all of your insights into Fistful of Darkness, the hellish economies and the various touchstones that you had throughout the game. Was there anything else you wanted to mention before we moved on to the outro? I just want to say that I think that touchstones in general are just a great way to communicate in few words what you mean. It's just not only at the beginning of the game, what will the game be about, uh, but also during the game, so stuff like that. It is, is this yet more goofy-like Touchstone X or is it more serious, dark, gritty like Touchstone Y? So this, for me, in a game where you want to keep a high pace or high tension, this is very useful. And this is just a piece of yeah, pop culture general agreement that you have with your players and uh, to, to make the game interesting. I really like that as a way to key in on what you like enjoy about a game and a way to communicate what our readers would enjoy about it as well. I'd like to let our listeners know where they can find out more about you and your games. Where do they go for that? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter as Monkey Echo, and uh, you can find me on HIO as uh, Monkey Echo, <laughs> surprisingly, and Drive-Through RPG is more obviously than you can find me there as well, so you have to just look for Fistful of Darkness. And uh, I think I want to plug one game in the end, if this is okay, mm. where I did um, the art for, which is uh, Blades in the Dark Hack, surprisingly, by a friend of mine, Ooh. Oliver Smog, which is called Minutes to Midnight. And to say some touchstones for this is uh, Cold War Spies, like Smiley and the Circus, but in modern setting mm -hmm. with James Bond gadgets. So 
three touchstones in one sentence describing a game. Yes, so I would like to also plug our community over at community.bladesinthedark.com. They are a very welcoming community for Blades and beyond. For example, Aegon, which we mentioned just a moment ago, and other hacks of this beautiful game. You can contact a lot of uh, the other hackers that are out there and find that we are all very welcoming to newcomers. If you're working on a hack or you're thinking about should you post it or any of that, the answer is yes. You definitely should. Yes, do it. <laughs> and you'll probably hear from all three of us in the server when you do. Yeah. Yeah, Nichelle, uh, Stefan, and myself, we all are pretty active over there uh, in the... A hack talk channel it's a great way if you are asking mechanical questions or needing a sounding board it's a very nice large sounding board and people are very welcoming and helpful and yes you should definitely check it out which is the official blades in the dark discord server and you can scroll down to the hacked in the dark channels of which you yourself are a large part of now. You've been growing in responsibility, but she's like, <laughs> she's like the mother of of the Blades server right now. Michelle is so. Yes. If you're wondering why they're so interested in the server, that is why. I I have many many children and have not started any cults uh, that anyone knows of. I thought I was in it. What? I thought I was in the cult. <laughs> oh. We don't talk about that with unbelievers. Oh no, oh no I spilled it. I'm, not, I'm gonna be kicked out, aren't I? No, you're not, you're fine. <laughs> it's just the best Discord server for all time. Well, this has been a very special episode of Hacked in the Dark, a podcast featuring Forged in the Dark games and their designers. I'm Mark. And I'm Nichelle. And remember, when it comes to design, we all begin our journey as Hacks in the Dark. Mm -hmm.